Josh that's here uh, as a guest leader today. So meet him after service. Yep. So uh, let me let me before we jump into we're starting a new series today. Before I jump into that, let me just uh, just make you give you some. Uh, I don't want you to stress or worry or anything like that. Uh, if you are here because of me, that's really sweet. <laughs> but I'm not the church. And so I want, to, I want you to make sure this series is going to be so impactful. We've got guest speakers that are coming in. You're not going to want to miss a single week. Um, on the back of your notes this morning is this conversation that at some point on the beach, I hope you will have with yourself. You'll spend 30 minutes, maybe an hour, get a notepad, write down the answer. This is a, a powerful searching, like, what's my life, where's my life headed, what do I need to change in my life kind of a conversation you can have with yourself as part of this series. I'll explain this series in a minute. Um, But I want you to be here because this is going to be a really impactful time for you in your life. Um, And I'll explain all that. So I'm super excited. I just want you to know that. Like Mike said, I think it's actually been a year that we've been working on this. And so I'm kind of like a kid at a candy store. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be great. Um, Some really super generous friends in in a couple different places in the country have offered their their places to stay. So we'll get to do a little bit of traveling together. And and, uh, I'm going to be pulling weeds at my house and that I I can't, don't have time to pull. And so I'm I'm super excited. So thank thank you for letting me do that. Yep. Well, I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to jump into this series. I want to invite you to stand with me. We always read from the scriptures. And uh, I'm going to be reading from three different passages in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 and chapter 12. Then we're going to talk about it today. Uh, Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Read verse 2 right there, the whole thing out loud with me, would you? This is what the ancients were commended for and what you could be commended for. Then verse chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And then verse 7, endure hardship as discipline, because everyone loves this verse. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, here's, here's what we're going to talk about in this series, and um, it's about the effect that your life has on other people. Now, if, you could, if, if you could somehow get a measurement or a reading on the effect that your life has on other people, now, that if you were to measure that, maybe it would be really good. Maybe you would not like the measurement that came back. Um, maybe you would feel like, yeah, I, I have a great effect on the lives of the people around me. Maybe you feel insignificant and you feel like you have almost no impact on the people around you. Uh, maybe you feel kind of inconsequential to the lives of the people around you and you're just kind of existing. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it feels kind of mixed. I, I, for me, it feels kind of mixed. I, I think about myself as a parent. I think about um, Hudson, our oldest. He's going to be in high school in the fall. Oh, my gosh. And um, I, I vividly remember when he came home as a baby, you know, this precious little thing. And 
And, you know, it's all sweetness when you have your first child and you have no idea what's about to happen. <laughs> you have no clue. And, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at him and I'm like, I'm going to protect. I'm just, I'm saying these things. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to look out for you. And somewhere in that thought pattern, I remember thinking, you know what? I'm probably going to hurt him too. Felt that as a parent? Uh, as a husband, I think it's a mixed bag for me. I mean, there have been moments that I've been super supportive of my wife and I've served her and I'm like, I am a selfless husband. And then there have been other times that I'm, I'm selfish and only think about me. Mixed bag, mixed bag. So we're going to talk about the effect of your life on other people because this is what I know. Uh, this is what I know from the scriptures. This is what I know from the life of Jesus. If you're taking notes, this is the first blank in the discipleship guide. You were not made for insignificance. You were meant by God to have an influence on other people. Turn to your neighbor and say, you were meant to be influential. Now, um, here's what I mean. Um, Christians are supposed to be incredibly influential people. Now, let let me clarify there, because some people will insert a narrative into what I'm saying right there and think what I mean is, Oh, you're saying that Christians should be people in positions of power. This is not a political vision that I'm trying to paint for you. This is a heart vision that I'm trying to paint for you. Now, it's not an issue of, some people think, you know, if we could just get Christians elected, we would solve all the problems. Listen, I want anybody who's an elected official to be a person of character, but, uh, but that's not the hope for humanity, that if we could just get Christian people in positions of power, everything would be okay. Well, often that's not the case frankly. This is not, this is not, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about you in your day-to-day life influencing the people that are around you, your kids, your neighbors, your spouse, your classmates, your co-workers. Um, and, and so we're using this, this metaphor, and maybe you're familiar with this metaphor, uh, of a retweet. Do you, do you know what a retweet is? Now, uh, our current president has made Twitter quite popular. Um, I understand that. Uh, but there's this button on, on Twitter where you can retweet, meaning I want other people to know about this. So I, I took a screenshot of my Twitter account, and this is a, a theologian I follow by the name of Leonard Sweet, and he had this tweet about back when something was, I think someone was maybe shot, and then he said, all houses of worship are by definition hate-free zones. Jesus didn't even hate his haters. Hate fates the world to hell. And that little green button right there has 17. That's the number of people who retweeted it. I hit that button. I was like, I want everybody to know about that. That's a metaphor for your life, that you would have a life that other people would go, yeah, I want other people to know about this person. I want to have a a retweetable life, which is a life worth knowing. Now, listen, uh, you may hear that and you may say, well, I don't have a big personality. Not about that. I don't have, I'm not in, I don't have big status, I'm not important in my job, not about that. I don't have a lot of money, I can't invest money and make a difference, not about that. It is simply about your character and the kind of person that you are. So I, I took some pictures last week um, of some people in our church that I think have a retweetable life. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you some of their pictures. Uh, I don't know what order. This is Andrea. Andrea last week, um, she, uh, you didn't know all this, she works with her kids, and she de- all the decorations that were done for uh, kids' adventure camp, like she put in hours, but she sees it as a gift. Does it all behind the scenes, you don't know anything about it. 
Um, this next person uh, is Johnny Belcher. If you know Johnny Belcher, you know that Johnny brings joy wherever he goes. You leave Johnny's presence and you go, oh, I'm smiling, thank you. He gives you a gift with his presence. Uh, let's see who's next. This is Bud. Bud's um, on our safety team. He's an usher and he his wife Jackie. And he's just a solid, stable, faithful, loyal person you can always count on. You need people like that in your life. Bud is absolutely that. Um, and then this is Shauna Finley. Shauna is, uh, you, you can tell she's kind of a depressive person by her smile. Uh, <laughs> She's, I'm not kidding, maybe the most positive person that I know. She just radiates joy. You leave her presence, and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to be like Shauna. Uh, And then this is... uh this is Chuck. Chuck works behind the scenes in our kids' ministry. And he does all the IT and he manages all that. He is as loyal and as stable and as faithful a person as you will possibly find. These people have a retweetable life. In fact, I'm retweeting it right now by showing you their picture. I'm letting you know these are, these are people that are worth knowing. And, and you could have a life like that. Now listen, these are ordinary people like I'm an ordinary person and like you're an ordinary person. They're not perfect. They have flaws. But they're worth knowing. They're worth worth knowing about, and that's what it's supposed to be like for you and me. Um, So what, 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 what do you have to do to become a person that has a retweetable life? What exactly is that? Well, the writer of the book of Hebrews says that it's really actually really simple, Uh, but the reality is that while it's simple, it's actually also hard. And what the writer of Hebrews says is that you just, if you want to have a retweetable life, you need to have faith. So we're going to look at what faith means and how we can have faith and what we do with faith. And, and over this course of this series, we're going to look at stories in the Bible of little-known characters that don't often get mentioned because that's how most of us are, that's how most of us feel, and find out how they lived a retweetable life. So that's, I don't want you to miss a week of this. Um, so Hebrews chapter 11 uh, starts off, this is the jumping point off for this whole series, is based on Hebrews 11, and, and this is kind of famously called uh, the Hall of Fame of Faith, chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews. And so there's all these kind of famous biblical characters in the opening uh, verses of chapter 11, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Gideon and Moses and Sarah and all these, if you know the stories of the Old Testament, all these characters. Um, But I I honestly don't like that title. That's not in the original text. It's just people have just kind of said, yeah, that's the Hall of Fame of Faith. I don't really like that because most of us don't make it into the Hall of Fame. Can I get an amen on that, right? Like, I played basketball in high school for a couple of years, and I was on the practice squad. Like, I suited up at the game, but I was nothing but someone uh, that, that someone ran over in practice to get better. That was my job, right? You never, I, I didn't make any leaderboards. There was no scoring record set by Scott Marshall. No, no assists. I was nobody, right? Most of us are that way. We don't end up in the Hall of Fame. We end up in the Hall of Nobody. (laughs) And so I think a more accurate name might be something like this. And I get that this is not catchy, right? It might be the Hall of Ordinary People and how their faith in God changed their lives. And by extension, the lives of the people around them. And their faith in God made all the difference in their life. And you could sum up their life at their funeral as people of faith. Now, I get that that's nowhere near catchy, right? But I think it's maybe more accurate. So the, the writer to Hebrews, he starts out and he tells us what faith 
is. And he says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, this is super important that we unpack this because when you hear the word faith, you have a dictionary definition that you insert into the word faith. And so understanding what faith is, so we need to make sure we understand. Because these two phrases that he puts in here are kind of like a formula for faith. If you want to have faith, you need these two things in your life. So we need to make sure we're on the same page about what this means. So he says that first, that faith is confidence in what we hope for. And that, that's a great, that's a great definition. I, I think you miss sometimes what's behind all of those words translated uh, from Greek. But the, one of the words in there, the, the word that's translated, uh, the confidence that we have, is the word hypostasis. Can you say that out loud with me? Hypostasis. Now, if you're a nurse, you immediately recognize that word. That's actually a medical term. It's been around for a couple thousand years. And it refers to uh, the fluids that settle. Usually when a person dies, the fluids, I know it's not a comforting image, but the, the fluids that settle. And so a couple thousand years ago, philosophers picked up on that and they said, it's when everything else has been wiped away, it's the solid stuff that remains. It's what's beneath everything. It's what you can count on. It's everything that you need to make reality work. It's what's really there, not what seems to be there. And and so the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, 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 listen. Faith is confidence in what is really there. It's what's beneath everything. The writer John, in his gospel, he starts off the gospel of John, and he says, in the beginning, He's referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's using a similar word within a similar concept, saying that underneath everything, underneath all of reality, is Jesus. Now, if you know the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is 100% about Jesus and how he's greater than any other system you could possibly come up with. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, faith is confidence that God is the great reality. Now, you may not be a person of faith. We have people here like that all the time. I love that you're here. And you may say, well, I'm, you know, you're making a statement of blind faith. Am I? I want to suggest that uh, if you say, well, you know, I don't live by faith. I live by reason or I live by science. Really? You're counting tomorrow, I'm counting tomorrow, on the sun, in our vernacular, rising, right? We know that the earth turns and the sun's here, so it's not the sun rises, the earth turns. We, we, get, we get that, right? But you're counting on that. How do you know that the sun, and it happens in the universe, is not going to explode tomorrow and this is all over? How do you know? Well, you are making, yeah, it's based on something, but you are making an act of faith. You have confidence in something. And that's the essence of what faith is. You have confidence in something. Whatever it is that you have the most confidence in, how solid is it? The writer of Hebrews says, underneath it all is Jesus. And so faith is looking forward with confidence because of who is underneath it all. And then he goes on and he says, and it's the assurance of what we do not see. Now this is, uh, this is misleading uh, to us because of how we've been conditioned to think of faith. We've been conditioned to think that faith is maybe blind trust with no evidence. So maybe you have conversations with people in your world, and uh, you talk to them about your relationship with God, and they think you're kind of nuts, because they think you just made this blind leap into the dark, and you have no evidence to base anything on, and you just believe, because you just like believing. 
and that that's what faith is. Or we think that faith is wishful thinking, or we think that faith is hope, just hoping that everything works out okay, you know, fingers crossed. I, growing up, I had a rabbit's foot. I don't know why my parents let me have a rabbit's foot, but I somehow thought that was lucky. You know, and, and back in the day, had the rabbit's foot on the little chain. I'd put it on my, yeah, I'm lucky. And, and it, I was just kind of hope. I, I, and like things got bad, I would like kind of rub that. And I'd be like, I hope everything works out okay. Or, or, or we have the idea that faith is like faith in faith. That's not what the writer to Hebrews is trying to say. Maybe a better way of understanding it is he's saying, listen, it's deeds and actions based on evidence we don't currently see. That's probably a, a better way to understand it. In other words, I don't act based on what I see right at this moment. I'm not, ba- I'm not making my decisions based on just the current data. I have a bigger field of vision. Uh, now, we do this all the time. Uh, let's just say that you went to the doctor tomorrow, and the doctor uh, said, hey, we found something abnormal. Uh, and then they do some more tests, and then the tests come back, and they say, hey, I've got some bad news, and I've got some good news. The bad news is that you have a tumor. The good news is that we have to operate. Now, you, you would make a decision. You can't see that tumor, right? You don't know it. You didn't even know it was there. But you can make a decision based on a preferred future, like my life without that tumor. And so you act in the present moment based on what you want to have happen in the future moment. Do you see that? That's faith. That's, that's what faith is. And so the writer of Hebrews lists off all these people. He says, Abraham left his father and his mother and his home. And Noah, and in faith, built an ark. And in faith, Moses' parents hid him. He's not saying uh, uh, you don't see anything, blind trust. He's saying you don't currently see. So you're, you're basing what you do uh, on what you see in the future. You saw something else. You have a, a preferred picture of the future. If, you're, if you study leadership, what I'm talking about is you have vision. You're looking into the future. And all these characters of faith, they took action in the present moment based on God's promised future. Like if we were to say that this rug right here represented uh, our lives, you know, and this is the beginning of our life, and this is the end of our life, and, and we're, we're, this is how we operate. You know, we know that we've traveled this, this road, and maybe we're right here, and we don't really know what's going to happen for the rest of our life. All we can see is this present moment that we have and what went back behind us. But what faith says is, okay, my perspective is not the only perspective that matters because God can look and see the, the beginning from the end. And so if God says, hey, it's going to be okay in this part of your journey, then I can act right now based on what God says is going to be okay in my journey and I can take a step forward. Is that, is, that, is that resonating with you? And he says, this is what the ancients were commended for. Now, this is not... Um, this is not American faith, uh, because this is what American faith is, is we hope everything turns out okay, and we act only on what we currently see. This is what Americans tell themselves so they don't despair. So here's a formula for faith, all right? Uh, faith is confidence that God is underneath it all, and it's action in the present moment based on God's grander vision of things. And this is a beautiful phrase. We're going to skip ahead here. Um, 
this is a beautiful phrase that he says in the, the book of, uh, of Hebrews. He says, listen, people who through faith, they conquered kingdoms, they administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. Now, if we could have faith and that was our future, oh, this is awesome, I'm going to conquer kingdoms. All right, we love that part. Then he goes on and he says, some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They had faith not in the outcome. They had faith in God. Now listen, listen to what he says in Hebrews eleven thirty eight. He says, the world was not worthy of them. Do you, do you know what I want for you as your pastor? At your funeral... <laughs> I want people to stand up and say, the world was not worthy of her. The world was not worthy of him. I I don't know how she got through what she got through. I don't know how he gave so much. The world was not worthy of them. You have a retweetable life. This is is what can come from you. So let me very fast, for those of you who are like, you didn't fill in the blanks because we're out of time. Um, I'm going to give you the blanks really fast, okay? Four actions to take with faith that will result in you having a retweetable life. Number one, you have to throw off the weights. Um, the writer of the Hebrews in, in chapter 12, he's reflecting on chapter 11. He says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You know when you watch the Olympics and you see those runners and they have the warm-up gear on? And you know when they actually run the race, they don't leave the warm-up gear on because it hinders them? They take it off to run the race? He says, if you want to have a retweetable life, take off the things that are hindering you and throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Don't, don't give yourself the excuse of, well, that's just how I am and I can't help it. Um, when, I was, when I ran the New York City Marathon, um, there was, uh, at the start of the race, there was, because uh, it was cold that morning, and when, when we took off, for the race, there was gear everywhere. I mean, there was people throw, threw gloves away and hats away. And I, like, running can be kind of expensive a little when you buy all the, the junk. And I'd research some of this stuff, and I saw, like, two or three pairs of gloves that I was like, those are 60 bucks. I think I'm going to put those in my shorts. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'll just not run, and I'll sell all this stuff on eBay, right? But, but as you throw that stuff off, because it's going to hinder your journey. You've got to throw off the weights. And then second thing um, is you've got to keep going. Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. A, a faith is a marathon, not a sprint. How do you, you know how you run a marathon? You keep going. When you run a marathon, uh, it hurts. You have pain. Things ache. It seems to, about mile 17, you're like, this is too hard. Why did I sign up to do this? This is dumb. I can't do it. But you know what you do? You go, you, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to quit. And the course has been marked out for you. Jesus is the, the, the chairman of the race committee, and he's put out the cones, and he's set up the water stops because he knows what you're going to need. And he's recruited the cheer section because he knows you're going to need encourage, encouragement. And you can get there. You've got to keep going. You can finish your race. Don't quit. Don't give up keep going third thing you have to have a vision of what's best so the writer to hebrews says fixing our eyes on jesus he's the best the pioneer and perfecter of your faith listen faith is not something you came up with this is you don't need to have faith in your own ability to have faith you need to have faith in god that's a totally different totally different enterprise 
And when you run a marathon, you know what you do? You have your eyes on the prize at the end. You're like, I'm going to cross that finish line, and that finish line is what keeps you going. You have your eyes on what is best. And so what I would do when I would run is I would go, okay, I'm going to make it to the finish line, but right now my finish line is that mailbox. Oh, the mailbox. And the next finish line is that porta potty. And I'm going to run to the porta potty. The next one's the water stop. And that's how you keep going because you've got a vision of where you're headed, right? You've got a vision of what's best. Consider him who endured such opposition, Hebrew, writer of Hebrews says, uh, from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And then, last thing, you have to shift how you see your problems. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. Now, listen, parents, we do this. Our kids hate it kid goes through something difficult and challenging and we want them to grow and so we give them the opportunity to fail and we know how terribly it could go and we're like oh my gosh if they make that decision this is going to go terribly but we know that if they make this other decision if they'll change how they see things and they'll look at themselves and the situation differently that they'll grow on the other side of this and so we discipline them because we love them and so the writer to Hebrews says listen That's how you need to see the things that you're going through that are difficult. You just don't have God's perspective. And if you did, what you would do is you would see every setback as a chance for you to get better. And you would see that God is at work shaping your character. And you would understand that your challenges are God's workshop. Now you begin to put those things in place. You begin to develop a retweetable life. So I want to pray for you what this series is going to be about. And I don't want you to miss it. Um, and, and maybe for the first time that you need, you need to say, I want to have faith in God. I need a bigger confidence than the one that I've got right now, and I need to have faith in God. Um, and, and faith, it, this is the simplest way I know how to describe it. When my kids were little and we would be in a crowd, and um, they wouldn't know the, the dangers of that crowd and how they could get lost, and so I would take my hand that was so much bigger than their little hand, and I would reach down and I would grab their hand. And I would hold on. And you know what they would always do? They wouldn't just let their hand dangle there limply. You know what they'd do? They would grab back. Now, who initiated that? Me. You're not the initiator of faith. Your, your faith is a response to God reaching his hand to you and saying, I got you. I'll get you where you need to go. And so today, maybe it's as simple as you just reaching out your hand. So do this with me. Would you close your eyes, bow your head, no one's looking around, they're having their own moment. And maybe as an act of faith, maybe for the first time, maybe for the 400th time, you want to reach out your hand. No one's looking at you. And feel the hand that's always been reaching for you. And take it in faith and confidence that underneath it all are the everlasting arms of God. And so Jesus, we want to be people of faith, people who are confident in what we hope for, sure of what we do not see. We want to, we want to be people like that. And so God, teach us over these next weeks how to become all that you have meant for us to be people of influence, people of character, people of depth, people of strength, people of faith. We want that. So teach us. We're listening. We want to learn. 
pray this in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me, if you would. We always leave you with a blessing. And uh, receive this blessing. You'll see people around you holding out their hands. And you can receive this blessing if you'd like. You're sitting out to love the God who has his hand out to you. You're sitting out to love your neighbor, to serve the world in Jesus' name. Hug someone, tell me you love them. See ya.